Good morning, Sage Mock Church family. I hope you are very, very excited about the opportunity and the responsibility that we have as we think about our future and all that it entails. Let's go to our great God in prayer and ask that he would anoint and bless and move this week and next week as we prepare for the future of our church. Oh, Father, breathe on us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would have great liberty in our midst today to draw and to reprove and to illuminate and to show us uh, that which you want us to do and to be. We know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We understand that, Father. And so we take great pride and responsibility to be found faithful once again as a church family. Please breathe on us and move in our midst, we pray in Jesus' holy name. And the people of God said... By now you know that we are in a transition as a church, and, and, and I hope that you're not bemoaning that. I hope you're excited about that. It's not the end. It's only the beginning. We are at a crossroads in our church life, and, and so it's yet to be determined which cross in the road we take. And we're going to let you know some of the things that are on the horizon, and we pray that you catch the vision and that the Sagemont family would be once again found faithful. Certainly, we all know our mission statement is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And if we would be real honest, there are a lot of people watching Sagemont Church at this instant. Our students are watching. Uh, they, have, they have been found faithful. They've been energized. They've been uh, uh, doing the, the stuff that's necessary to get the Envision off of the launching pad. And you'll hear about that in just a second. But they're watching. They are inhabiting our oldest buildings on this campus, 50 plus years old, wrecked by Hurricane Harvey, could not be remodeled as per the city of Houston and the flood zone and all of that. And so best we can do is to tear down and build again. And our students are watching. Uh, will we be found faithful? And our communities watching. Uh, will, will Sagemont once again be the vanguard, the bulwark, the, 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 the rock in this community and, uh, and continue to lead into the next generation? And our denomination is watching as well. We have led the denomination in so many ways for so many years, especially in the area of debt freedom and our our denomination is watching again. Brothers and sisters, we have opportunity before us and we have responsibility before us. Opportunity to once again be found faithful, to set a clarion voice, a clarion call to our denomination about the necessity to be a debt-free church. It'd be easy to go to a bank and finance buildings. It's much more difficult to be still, be found faithful. Every good gift comes from above and to use the blessings God has given us to once again uh, build buildings to the glory of God. And not just opportunity, but responsibility as stewards to be all that God would want us to be, using our giftedness to the glory of God. Ms. Elizabeth Nipper uh, has been leading our, our, our younger people in many fundraising campaigns, and she's going to come and highlight some of the things that have been going on. And we launched that in the beginning of December. In a couple weeks after that, we had our very first lowering funds activity. We all got to meet at Chick-fil-A, eat some really good food, and raise money for the church. All we had to do was show up, eat Chick-fil-A, and we were able to raise over $700 that night. Now, that may not sound like a lot of money, but like I said, what did we have to do? Eat Chick-fil-A. And it has been reported that was a record-breaking spirit night for Chick-fil-A at that location, which is only God, which is going to be a consistent theme you hear in all that I report is God. So that was back in December. Then in March, we all came together as a church. We had our student for hire event where our students took their spring break and went into many of your homes and you hired them to do some great projects around your house. You kept them busy for about two and a half to three days. And all they asked in return was that you make a donation towards the Envision Project. And they went out with good hearts and happy hearts and worked diligently for many of you in your home. 
Then they came back on Saturday morning, and many of them were here at 5 o'clock in the morning to help us with a garage sale that was supposed to last three, one day, but because there was so much stuff, we were able to have it for three days. We were also able to have a bake sale, and between those three events, we raised over $50,000 in a matter of about four days. Again, God. Again, God. Well, that was in March, and then at the beginning of April, we kicked off our April showers campaign. Our students had been involved, and now it was time to get our children involved. And we had our April showers campaign where we had our umbrellas, and our children were able to bring their coins and drop it into their umbrellas. And many of you probably ran for me by the time you saw my umbrella. Uh, many of you gave to that campaign also. But again, it was a chance for our children to take the lead this time and to step out and to give money towards Envision. And they did. For the entire month of April, our children brought their coins. And as you can see, they raised $4,726.01. I personally love the one cent. I think it's a reminder that every penny matters. And God sees everything that we give and the heart behind everything we give. And I love that one penny. Then right after April showers, we went right into our lemonade stands where we had over 30 families participate at the beginning of May. And they hosted lemonade stands in their communities, in their homes, and in their areas. Many of these students, or excuse me, children, did it all themselves. Their parents just stepped back and watched and were amazed. And as I collected the money the next week, I got to talk to many of those children. They were so excited to bring their money and to say, look what we were able to do. Look what God did. And they were so excited to be a part, knowing that this money was going towards Envision. This money was going to help build a building that one day they would get to be a part of and that they would get to continue learning about the God that loves them so much. They were so excited to be a part. And through those 30 families, we raised over f about $5,381.51. Again, God, only God can do this from lemonade stands. It was amazing time. Then after that, we went into VBS, and every year at VBS, we have a mission project. Well, this year, we decided the mission uh, money would go towards Envision. And so, again, everybody brought their coins. They tried to get Wes off a mountain, which I think we finally achieved to get him off that mountain. And we had a record-breaking VBS year, $14,500. Again, God. Again, only God. And then our worship team wanted to get involved and do something towards Envision also. So we sold our patriotic t-shirts for our 4th of July celebration. And that was a wonderful event to watch everybody in our t-shirts. And for that one, we raised about $5,000 just on t-shirts. So as you can see, our students have been busy. Our children have been busy helping to raise money and lower the funds for Envision. They want to be in a part of this. Our students have not sat back and said, please build me a building while we sit here. They want to take the lead. They want to be a part. And they will continue to be a part in the days ahead. But now it's our time. As Brother Chuck has said, will we show the students that we are behind them and that we believe in them and that we want to invest in this next generation. So God has been faithful thus far. He is going to continue to be faithful. Now it's our turn to prove faithful to him. Give Elizabeth another hand. She's done a really great job at all this. And by the way, that Christian chicken tastes a whole lot better than the secular stuff, doesn't it? It really does. I want to just say to you, for my short time, my testimony is just what Elizabeth said. It's really about God. It's about the grace of God uh, on my life and how God has touched me and the people that have invested in me in this church. As you know, I grew up in the nursery. Uh, I came here this little with a pacifier. But by the grace of God, God had a plan for me to set the pacifier aside and to grow up. And hopefully I'm becoming a man now. But I was a product of the children's ministry. My 
family were, were charter members here. I was saved at the age of seven, was baptized in the chapel, talked to Brother John about my experience with Christ, and he baptized me. And I went through the children's ministry and went through the student ministry here. And you know, back in the day, we didn't have a card that said each person matters, but we had the value that each person matters. And I always knew here that I mattered to God and I mattered to people. And people invested in me. They loved me. They cared for me. Uh, I was saved here. I was called into the ministry at the age of 18 at a camp, much like Cody and the student ministry does, where God touched my life. And I have never been the same since. God, I'm not perfect. I know that. But I have been on a journey with God, and it has brought me full circle here. And this church has blessed me in order that I might be a blessing to other people. And I think about how God called me into the ministry here, and then He allowed me the privilege of serving in an internship program when I had no idea what God was going to do with my life. Buddy Fortenberry came to me and he said, what are you doing this summer? I said, nothing. I'm a teenager. He said, would you like to serve with me? And I did, and in the process of serving with him and Emory and others, God made it very clear that the ministry was what I was supposed to do full-time vocationally. Now, we certainly know we're all ministers, so don't think that we're up here on a pet. We're all ministers, and that's what makes Sagemont beautiful, is we all understand the message of grace is to be received and released through our lives. So we're all ministers, but vocationally, God did a work in my heart. And even in the 90s, you may not know this, I was the student pastor here. I had a full head of hair. I did not shine like I do today. And I blame all of it on them. And I'm not bitter. I'm better because of this. I really am. But I had opportunity. We had the Cutting Edge Student Ministry building back in the day in the 90s across the street. It ran its course at a certain time. It was a place where you didn't hear us because we were always over there. One of the negatives was we weren't here integrated into the body of Christ here at Sagemont. So when I think of this building, I think about the positive aspect of the students being integrated into the body of Christ here. And Elizabeth's right, they're doing a great job. They're leading the way. They're champions for Christ. And one of the blessings for me is when I walk the hallways on a Sunday morning, I see former students who are here who have received the message of God's grace through the student ministry, and they're continuing to release God's grace to the world. They have families. They're serving. They're loving. So every person matters here. Everybody is important here, and everybody has a gift. And so that's one of the beautiful things about that here. So one of the things for my testimony is I'm so grateful for the foundation that was poured into my life by many of the staff and many of you that cared for me in my younger days that I learned to respect God's Word here and love God's Word. Brother John told me, he said, Freeman, you love God's Word and you respect God's Word. It is the authority in which we believe here. And so that has stuck with me. You may not think that things stick with us when we're younger, but I'm telling you, the message of grace is caught. It's not just taught. So I value the Word of God. I learned to serve here. I owe a great debt of uh, gratitude here for the people that have invested in my life. And one of the things that really excites me today is the opportunity to build the Word of God into the lives of people. And one of the beautiful things is I know that Cody and his team, I'm excited about the building being a tool, and it's just a tool, but building the Word of God into the lives of students is what it's about, because there are thousands of people like me who have gone through the student ministry here, who are serving the Lord somewhere in this world, and we're being effective, not because we're great, we're being effective because we honor the Word of God and we understand the message of grace. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Would you welcome our student pastor this day, Cody Watucky. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, a couple things that I want to say uh, to our church family this morning is student ministry is an amazing place to serve. Um, it's a place where you get to walk alongside young men, young women who are going through difficult transitional years. And not just in student ministry, but what comes next when it comes to those college years. 
And what you get to do is you get to push them, encourage them to look to Christ, and you get to see them to begin to be obedient to the things that the Lord has called them to do. You get to see them live this out. And there's no doubt in my mind that God is moving in both our student ministry and in our college ministry. So there's a couple of things that I want to share with us this morning uh, over both of those ministries. Our student ministry has grown uh, over the past few years to where a typical Sunday attendance throughout the school year of about 250 has now changed to about 400. Our midweek services, our Wednesday nights, have doubled from a few years ago to about 80 students for the entire ministry uh, to during the school year about 150 to 170. So this is a huge praise. Since school has released in May, we have seen over 40 students lay their faith in Christ. 12 at a student club, yes, God is good. 12 at a student club at Thompson uh, Intermediate, uh, 6 at Breakaway, which is our VBS event for students 6th through 8th grade, 5 in our normal services, and 17 at camp this year uh, decided to lay their faith in Jesus. And so that's just what God has been doing on the student ministry side. I also want to champion our college ministry. Regarding the college ministry, Sagemont U, uh, Thursday night, their gathering has grown from 45, about two and a half years ago, to nearly 100 throughout the school year. All of their events are increasing in numbers as well. It's really cool to see that. Um, over half of our, about just about half or a little bit over half of our college ministry serves as small group leaders in the student ministry. So it's a direct fruit. We get to steward them, pour into them, lead them out. They come back around, and they're the ones that say, you know what, I'm ready to lead a group of crazy 6th and 7th graders, right? They take it on. Um, this building will be a place of worship. The thing I want to tell you guys as student minister, our team understands we will not worship this building, but we will worship our God in this building. And we will worship our God outside of the building. And this is going to be a place where the community can come. These students know that they're loved. They will see living proof of a loving God uh, to a watching world. And it's a place where we're going to make disciples, um, hands down. God's going to do gigantic things. Um, I, I'm kind of an impatient person, so I'm ready to see what he's going to do. But in the meantime, we just need to be faithful um, in the little things that he's called us to do. And then when he says it's time to run, we're going to run. But God is moving, um, and it's all for his glory. Um, and so, church family, I just want to encourage you, continue to pray uh, for all that God's doing in the life of our church. Um, continue to pray for our students this morning. Right now, they're having some pretty hard discussions. Uh, Chuck and Betsy are leading those out right now. Teenagers probably don't like the discussions they're having right now, but we're going to tackle some things head on. So pray for them now. And no further ado, before I gab too much, would you turn your attention to the screens? We stand on the shoulders of visionaries, of men and women, some long past, who were obedient to God's plan to begin a new work in the open fields of South Houston. Since that first worship service on June 5, 1966, Sagemont Church has stood firmly upon the truth of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word, and has consistently embodied our mission statement to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Sagemont Church is a unique place where everybody matters. Sagemont is such a giving, loving church. People are willing to love on you, just want to get to, get to know you and see what you're about and invest completely in you. One of the major distinctives here at Sagemont Church has always been our stand on the Scripture. It always comes back to the teaching of the Word. I'm never ever worried if I bring someone that they might hear something that's contradictory to the Bible. And so whoever is preaching in the pulpit or standing and teaching in our church, we know that they're standing on God's Word to be true and there's not going to be any debate on that. You can't talk about the Sagemont area without talking about Sagemont Church. We're a giving church, we're a loving church. We're a church that helps their fellow man and shows them Christ's love. Sagemont is home. It's family. I grew up here. I've been at this church since I was a baby. And so 
it's home. And I just believe that this church is a cornerstone of this community. I know that Sagemont Church is a great church. I know that we have ministries and facilities that are excellent in every way you gauge a church. From our children's ministry building for children who are the greatest in the kingdom of God, to our sanctuary that we're sitting in right now with the wings that take care of iConnect adult Bible studies. We have incredible facilities except for our student ministry facility. It doesn't match our core value of excellence. We're using rooms that look like they haven't been inhabited for 10, 15 years. We don't have any other options. There's no other place for us to stick the students. We have students spread out in the HRA side of the church. We have students spread out on the children's side. If there is one thing these students are, is resilient. <laughs> um, yeah. We have been moved all over the place. Um, we've had classes in little tiny spaces, in giant rooms where we have our alone time, but it's still really loud because just on the other side of the divider is another group doing the same thing. It's been hard um, not having a consistent place where we can go and we can be um, a community and learn and grow. There's a, a, a major difference between borrowing and owning. You know, this... <laughs> I'm sorry, the student ministry has borrowed for a long time. <laughs> we have worn those antiquated facilities out. Hurricane Harvey has wiped them out for us. We now have an empty footprint to create another space where they can meet the greatest person they'll ever meet, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Sagemont students will now have a space, a place uniquely their own, one they will be proud to invite their friends to for worship, discipleship, and fun. A facility where students, day or night, will have dedicated access to all activities. Whether it's volleyball, nine square, gaga ball, or grilling out, our students will enjoy outdoor recreational areas. Inside, a central gathering space will feature comfortable seating, snack bar, and gaming areas where students will enjoy a safe place where lifelong friendships can be cultivated and tough issues can be discussed as they grow in their faith. With two full floors of space, our students and staff will enjoy a facility that includes state-of-the-art worship venues, individual classrooms, meeting spaces specifically designed to meet their ever-expanding needs both now and in the future. Our vision statement for the student ministry is equipping students to multiply, to go out and to be disciples who make disciples. So everything that we teach them from the platform, everything we teach them through small groups, whatever they learn about discipleship, the expectation is to take that and then go teach someone else and train them up in righteousness. Relationships are the core of student ministry. And it's that sense of relationship, that sense of community that keeps them plugged in. Youth want to belong. And so we try to create a safe space for them to share biblically how to get through the issues that they're facing. I remember so many wonderful nights over there across the street in the old Safeway that were just God moments. And some of those kids, and I was one of them, you know, were going through, you know, tough times. And uh, having a small group where you could just talk, oh man, invaluable. You can't, you can't put a price on that. Small group for me is a big thing because I get to talk about all the stuff in my life. They always encourage you and they always work with you. And they're real, like it's not like sugar-coated. And I really enjoy it. Student ministry is where I really grew in my faith as a kid. And those leaders who just poured into me their selfless acts of just being there on Sunday and always encouraging us to stay in the Word, to be real with each other, and to just live life to the fullest. That was huge impact. For me, it was revolutionary. And I don't use that word lightly. I needed external help to become an adult worthy of being called a Christian. And that happened here in the student ministry. I remember countless times being able to come up during the summer just to play a quick game of ping pong or just to hang out with the student ministers and talking. You needed that place as a student. God moves through everything, you know? And so you might be 
playing Gaga one day, and next thing you know, that dude gets saved just because you decided to share the gospel with them while you were playing the game. The new building would be a gigantic tool for us to continue to foster those relationships, to be a place where these students can come and gather after school, hours before service, and to hang out and just do life with other students and with our team. With the guys that I hang out with, getting the new student ministry building, we're gonna have a place that we can hang out more, spend more time with each other, and it's gonna be constantly filled with me and my guys, whether Cody wants us there or not. If you have a building, that's fun and exciting. You get people in the doors, and then we will wreck you with the Lord and Scripture and prayer, and you'll never be the same. The cost of the 44,000-square-foot building is $12 million. It is truly a God-sized project for a God who repeatedly tells us that He will provide all of our needs according to His riches in glory. Because we are debt-free, we are allowed to do so many more things at our church. Because we're not spending money on things that happened in the past, we're giving to funds and we're giving to resources that are happening for the future. And these resources are our kids, our students. Every good gift comes from the Father of Lights. He gives generously. He gives abundantly. We have been blessed beyond measure. With that blessing comes responsibility to be found faithful to the needs of the church body. We don't need miracles to happen for the student building and to meet the needs of these students. We need people to love God and to be uh, uh, obedient to His Word and to learn to live by faith. August 4th will be an important day in the life of our church. It will be a day of in-gathering where we come together and in obedience to God's leading make our faith promise to envision. One of the biggest ways that we can minister to our students through this process is something that we always teach. You're blessed to be a blessing. We have a lot of people in our congregation who are very blessed. And so to be able to give, to build this building is gonna show them not only do we speak it from the platform, right? But we live it out. I'm a college student. I don't have a lot to give, but it talks about in scripture, it's all about the heart. What is your heart saying through your gift, big or small? Every little bit counts. We should remember from the, the widow woman with the, the mite. The mites. Yeah. Um, that was all she had. And she gave it lovingly and willingly. And Jesus said, oh, what great faith that woman has. More than anyone else that gave in their abundance. We don't depend upon the banks. We don't depend on the stock market. We don't depend on one person. We just depend on one God who supplies our needs through multiple, multiple people. Always has, and I believe he always will. We are building a building under whose shade many of us will never sit. But that doesn't mean it's not important. I won't enjoy the shade of the student ministry building, but my grandkids will and so will the grandkids and the children of hundreds and thousands of our neighbors. We can't miss the opportunity to be involved in this next step of Sagemont and what God's doing here in Houston. And so you give up something today with hope that it's greater tomorrow. Envision is not about building buildings. It is about equipping future generations. It is about providing a training ground where students can grow in their knowledge, understanding, and application of God's Word as they go and make disciples in Houston, the United States, and the utmost parts of the world. I would love people to look at the Sagemont Student Ministry as a ministry that's setting trends, that's very relevant to the culture that's around us, that's reaching students who are not saved and seeing a generation surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's so much bigger than a building, y'all. We are creating disciple makers. We are creating people that are gonna make a difference for years to come, for lifetimes to come. I'm thankful for all that people are investing in this student ministry and our new building so that we can grow closer to Christ in our faith. They're the next generation that's gonna take over, not just the church, but the world. And if we don't love on them during these difficult transition years, then we have no say over how our world develops in the future. The world is changing, and it could change for the better for the worst, and I hope whenever we have our new building, uh, more people come and more people accept Christ into their lives and more people make a difference to others. 
I'm reminded of a truth I learned as a young man. As a young man, as a Cub Scout, we would go to scouting trips and we would build campfires. And the Scoutmaster would always tell us, boys, leave the woodpile larger than you found it. We're at the season of life where many of your staff are on the brink of transitioning. And that means we must find the Davids of tomorrow to lead the church into tomorrow. So my vision is to leave the woodpile much higher than I found it. So it's very important that now be the time. Not later, not if God will, God already has blessed us. And if we'll be faithful over a few things, he says, I'll make you rule over many. Your visionary team has worked for years trying to discern what, when, how, and where as it relates to the youth of our church. Long before Harvey, they were at work, and Harvey expedited the decision-making for us. I want you to meet Steve Marcelli. He, like many on the visionary team, had extensive experience on doing buildings. And Steve is the chairman of your visionary team. Welcome him now. Well, the visual that you just saw uh, represent a, uh, about a 48,150-square-foot two-story building. Its uh, first floor is going to be elevated about one foot nine inches higher than the HRA slab. Now, that's way out of the ground, but that's because that's what it needed to get to satisfy the building code after Harvey. It'll be a metal building-type structure with uh, brick and stucco and uh, metal-type siding. Uh, it'll be exposed uh, structural steel inside. It will have a peaked roof that'll complement the buildings that are on the campus currently. The exterior amenities around the building will be a nine square and gaga ball, volleyball, and have a large fenced in area around the building to where uh, students can have a lot of other act act uh, outside activities like barbecues and frisbee, things of that nature. There's a large uh, covered walkway on the west side of the building, that's the children's side, that will connect the uh, student building to the uh, HRA and the hall. The uh, first floor of the building, when you enter it, it will be the, uh, the gathering space for the uh, junior high students. It'll have a large worship space that'll seat about 350 chairs, and then it'll have seven classrooms. One of the classrooms will double as a gaming room. There will be uh, 10 breakout pod areas that are, these are acoustical panels that are erected in an octagon shape that will fit about 12 chairs apiece. There's uh, going to be a small kitchen break room type area that will uh, service the, the gathering space and also outside through the, the covered walkway. And the student ministry offices will also be on the first floor. When you enter the second floor, there will be a large gathering space there similar to the first floor and it'll have eight classrooms on the second floor. One will double as a gaming room, the other double as a uh, counseling center. Uh, it'll have a large worship space, it'll, be, it'll seat about 650 chairs in it. The, uh, each floor will have uh, the uh, bank of restrooms and common stairways and elevator closets, things that they need to make the building functional. The interior design will be somewhat uh, modern industrial type look, which is what uh, the students like these days, uh, have a lot of acoustics to, to kind of attenuate the noise that you guys are gonna create. So uh, we've considered that. And it'll be exposed steel with the, with the rough features that y'all like to see. We're really excited about it. We started design back in October of 2018. And uh, when we did, we uh, allotted about n nine months to do design and three months to get us through uh, permitting. Uh, currently we're on schedule on the design and uh, that would put us in doing demolition and site work in, uh, uh, in January of 2020. Uh, we've allotted three months for demolition, site work, underground utility relocations, things of that nature, building pad construction, and then another nine months to actually build the, the building itself. That puts us at a projected move-in of January or February of 2021. So that's a very important date for us. 
when we did a, uh, an estimate on our original design, the schematic design for the facility, it generated a $13.7 million budget. Well, that was a uh, million seven over what our original budget was, so we had to do some scope revisions and some value engineering to get us down to where, uh, what you see today on, on the visual. But we're praying and we ask that y'all pray real hard that the Lord will bless us above and beyond what we're looking for so we can add some of these features back and really make this a state-of-the-art facility. The distribution of the $12 million is uh, we've allocated $950,000 for architectural engineering and commissioning fees and $10,350,000 for the general contractor to actually do the site work and all the demolition and what it takes to build the building and then a half a million dollars for FF&E, that's fixtures, furniture, and equipment, and do testing and impact fees and landscaping and signage, things of that nature. So uh, we're, we're real excited about the building. Everything's on schedule right now, and we're just waiting on the Lord to provide. Thank you. I'm going to invite you to stand up with me for about 30 seconds and stretch your legs. This is not going to take long. I've got about 15 minutes. I have five points. That's three minutes to the point. So uh, I want to try to keep you awake for another 15 minutes. But I think you're pretty much uh, got your eyes open. A lot of times when the church gets together and they start seeing zeros, they open their eyes, you know, and wondering what in the world's going on. But uh, let's thank the Lord for what's happened so far and uh, just rejoice in what he has done and what he is going to do. You may be seated. We welcome those that join us uh, on the television hour. We always know that God is with us and that he is doing what only he can do. Now, my, my next few moments... My prayer is, for those of you that are members or guests, that you will leave here with five thoughts. These five thoughts will affect you for the rest of your life, just like they did this church over the last 40-plus years. When we adopted unanimously that we were going to let the Scripture be the Scripture, although it didn't make sense. You know, a lot of people say, well, that's not reasonable, and they decide to get another book. But we made a decision that we would do what God told us to do. In 1975, we read the Bible through as a church. Let me tell you how that happened. I was fishing down at Rockport. I was uh, having a good time, enjoying myself when I received message that I had been elected moderator of the Union Baptist Association. Now, that's the way you get these big jobs in denominational life. You don't show up at their meetings. And uh, I was called and told I was a moderator. Union Baptist Association, that's Houston area. At that time, the largest in America. This young man was asked to come. I didn't have any idea what I was leading, although I was saved in the Union Baptist Association Church, First Baptist Pasadena, where my dad was pastor. But anyway, I came started studying what is this and that year the churches of Union Baptist Association gave 3.2 million dollars to world missions now that was a big figure but the same churches gave 4.5 million dollars in interest to the building to the to the business or the the banking world in other words we spent four and a half million on secular financing and only 3.2 to win the world. I said, something's wrong with that. That doesn't make sense. We're, we're, we're in the soul winning business. We're not in the fund raising business. So we changed some things. We started lowering funds instead of raising funds. And you said, now what does that mean? Well, the Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes down from who? The Father. It worked. We started individually, we started it collectively. And God laid on our heart, we were going to get out of debt. Well, we've had all kinds of challenges. Many buildings have been built. 
Every single one of them was a test. But every single one, God worked. My dad, when he was, was a preacher for about 60 years, one-eyed, stuttering preacher. But he loved missions. He loved the Word of God. He believed the Word of God. His favorite scripture, if he's ever signed your Bible or anything, L.D. Morgan, Philippians 4.19. Could I get you to learn it today? But my God, say it after me, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now learn three other words. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I learned later, if God says it, that settles it. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. But if you believe it, then you get in on it. Because the only way God can get it from there to here is through his kids. Not through the stock market, not through the oil business, not through the corporate world but through his kids. You see, the book says we're heirs according to his promises. We're God's children. We're God's children. So we learned a definition of prosperity. It's having everything you need and the capacity to enjoy it. That's prosperity. Having everything you need and the capacity to enjoy it. Now, you know... If you know this world, that some of the unhappiest people in the world are some of the richest people in the world because they don't know the God that supplies every good and every perfect gift. But prosperity is more than money. It can mean love, peace, joy, patience, security. But here's what we learned. Are you ready? Get your neighbor to put their hand out there if you just have the pen. And you can write it on their hand. They can call you this afternoon and give it back to you, all right? Number one, God has all of the wealth in this world and in the world to come. He owns everything. He owns the cattle on the thousand hills, the Bible says. And it goes on to say, and by the way, he owns the hills they graze on. All that's in the heavens... And all that's in the earth is his. America doesn't own anything. You don't own anything. I don't own anything. But the day I became a born-again believer, I became a child of God. And you know what that means for you and me when we become a children of God? We're heirs according to his promise. And his promise was, say it again, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that's in the heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of you. And you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and give strength unto all. God owns all the wealth in this world and in the world to come. Some of you say, well, why does the devil have so much control over it? Well, because God's kids hadn't learned to get it all. Whenever we become faithful... God has poured his wealth through us. Have you tried it? Have you tried it? Well, I'm going to give you number two. Watch out, because here's where we lose some of you. God wants his money in circulation. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, God knows if some of us ever get any money from him, it'll go out of circulation until we die and leave it to our kids. I mean, we just sort of take it out of existence. We like to know how much net worth I have. And so we get a box about this long, and, this, and 
uh, this tall and this, this long and about that wide, and we put all this paper in it. It's called stocks and bonds and gold and silver and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord said, why don't you use some of that to bring people to me and to get the gospel to the uttermost part of the world? That's what I gave it to you for. I'm going to give you exceeding abundantly above anything you think or ask. But if I give you any more, you're going to have to learn to keep it in circulation. That's called missions. Sagemont is one of five missions of the First Baptist Church in Pasadena, where my dad was pastor. This church was an example for our mother church to get out of debt. And the First Baptist Church got out of debt many years after Sagemont got out of debt as the pastors led that church to be debt-free. And that is true of some of the greatest churches in America. Take me to lunch, I'll give you the list. I will show you two universities that are some of the greatest in the world. Liberty University and the Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in San Francisco, California. Because of this church and its faithfulness to do what God said for the people to do it, God has taken care of those schools in an unbelievable way. So God wants it in circulation. Got that written down? All right. You say, you have any more scripture? I just happen to have. <laughs> Try this one. John 3:16. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many sons did God have? How many does he have now? A bunch of sons and daughters. If he wouldn't have given his one son, none of us would be saved. The way to have is to give. And it all belongs to his kids. All of it. Romans 5, 8, But God commended his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us, the only begotten Son of God. Number three, all of his wealth, biblically, belongs to his children. It's in the will that the wealth of God is to go to his kids. But his kids have got to be willing to do with it what God wants done with it. Otherwise, without a lawyer, he doesn't send it your way. Because he knows it'll be foolishly spent. You'll be standing in the lines. You'll wait to be the big winner. You'll always get great joy out of taking other people's monies and saying, I won. And all of this. But it'll never happen to you or to a church until we understand it belongs to us. And you say, no, I I, want to... I want to call your hand on that preacher. It says it's for the Jews. I like to talk to Brother Stuart Rothberg, you know, as being my favorite Jew. But he also knows, and I know is, I'm Jewish too. And so are you if you're a Christian. We've been adopted. Kind of cuts them out a little bit, don't it? Because we're adopted and we're heirs too. But we have to be faithful children. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And also in Galatians 3, verses 6 and 7. Even as Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith are the same, are the children of Abraham. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise through faith. You got number three? Number four. Number four. The key to getting in on God's promises is to become a giver. No other way. No other way. I don't care what you do for secular things. I don't care how important that is. The only way that you can ever expect God to bless 
is become a giver. 50% plus of any church that probably you could name, 50% of its membership never gives $1. They come, they receive, but they don't give. Let everybody else do that. Now rest assured, God can do it that way. But you know what he wants to do? He wants you to find out it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to see things coming from heaven that you were not expecting. And it's not winning the publisher house or whatever they do. It has to do with say, God, you know what? That church down there in Houston where all those teenagers are with the finest leadership in the country need a building. You want to be a part of it? I got the money. The banks have it, but they're not going to take it from the bank. They're waiting on me to give it. You know what happens? Every time, and we've seen it over and over and over and over and over, God starts blessing his kids. And when it happens, God's will is done. Well, let me close with the last one. We're not to give from our apparent resources. We're to give from God's actual resources. God is sitting as the wealthiest of the wealthy. His eyes go to and fro, the scripture says, to show himself strong in behalf of a people whose heart is perfect towards him. I'm looking at a lot of you right now, or a lot of us, that we used to worry about paying our water bill. We don't worry about that anymore. We don't worry about, is God going to take care of our needs? Is God going to help our kids get to school and go to college or whatever? You know why? Because we've lived long enough to have learned that the Bible is always accurate. God loved us, and he gave. And he asked us to be like him. That we will love him and give that students and children and young adults and medium-aged adults and senior adults may know Jesus Christ. God says, I'll tell you what to give, which brings me to my conclusion. Now, be very, listen to this. I'm not sure that I'll explain it right or you'll understand it. It doesn't really matter, except that I get over one point. This envelope that you got, this is not a pledge card. It's a faith promise. Now, if you've already opened yours, it's okay, but I hope you hadn't, hadn't written on it. Don't write on it until God tells you what to write. If you just got it and said, well, put something on there. Honey, what do you want to put on there? I'll put a 20 down there. All right, okay. Well, I think we can give. You give 20, I'll give. That's not what this is all about. Here's what I want you to do. If it's still together, take it home, put it somewhere, and start praying. God, what would you have me do? When you open this up, here's what it says. If God will let me live the next two years, if God lets me live and blesses me as he is now, this is what I want to give. And then on the other side, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, that I will give. I don't have any money. I don't have faith I'm going to get any. But I'm a Christian, and Jesus lives in my life. If God will let me live till this building is finished, this is how many people I want to lead to Christ. You might not have any money yourself, but you might run somebody to Jesus. And then the money will flow that way, but it's going to him. It's not going to the person, it's going to him. So put this somewhere and pray, pray, pray. We did this years ago with just a blank card. No signature. Do not sign this. But here's what we need to know. Are we in or out? Is that figure when everybody at Sagemont has said, this is what I think God wants me to give? Not, not immediately, but over this coming time, this is what I'm going to give. We will look at those. Our leadership will look at those. Our finance team, our deacons, our building team, everyone, the staff that needs to be involved. But it's a faith promise. You don't, we don't sign cards here. We don't have pledge cards. It's a faith promise. We need to know, the leadership, what God's told you to do. So put it on there that way.
Then you can turn it back in. You can drop it in the offering box. You can bring it by the church. I will personally be available to talk with any of you anytime. And so will our other staff uh, members. Because we want this to be a revival experience. We want it to be a spiritual experience. We want you to see that God never fails. And God loves you. Our Heavenly Father, there's none like you. You're one of a kind. Your Father, your Son, and your Holy Spirit. But Lord, we've come to another day of, of will you come and will you do it again? And Lord, we can count so many. And even in the last few days, we've seen things happen that are giving us, again, an exciting glimpse that maybe you're going to do it again at Sagemont. But many new people will be involved, and they will learn what those that have been here 40 or 50 years have learned, that you will provide for your church, your bride, but you want to bless your kids and let them be a part of making it happen. So we're not asking from a grant from a foundation. We're asking from a blessing. We're asking for you to send a blessing from heaven. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you think? Would you go and pray? If you'd like to come back and talk about being baptized tonight, come in just a moment. As we'll dismiss, don't leave now. We're not through. I'm not going to close, but I'm going to tell you that God loves you and has got a plan for your life. Don't miss it. Brother Chuck. So we do what we do to the glory of God, to the honor of our pastor for 53 years, and to the future of our church. To the glory of God, to the honor of Brother John on June the 9th, I announced to you that it was my belief that in this transition, we ought to name this building after our faithful pastor of 53 years. Amen. The deacon body has voted unanimously to do that. The building and grounds team has weighed in on that and voted unanimously to do that. And I took it to church conference on Wednesday, and they too voted unanimously. So this student building will be named the John D. Morgan Student Ministry Building. <laughs> Next week, we have an opportunity to give tangibly. We'll have an envision gathering to give tangibly and to make our faith pledge to the glory of God, to the honor of our pastor, and for the welfare of the future of our church. I'm asking Cody and Chuck and Miguel to come up here now. They're going to kneel. We're going to lay on hands and pray for them as the student ministry comes and surrounds them. You three guys come and kneel. And student ministry, you come on down right now. You come now and surround them as we lay on hands and pray for them, and that will be the conclusion of our worship service. I want you to see the future of our church. You heard testimony to many that talked to this, but this is a visual looking at the future of our church. Some of you come on up here, some of up here, some of you surround right here. Y'all come on down, make your way in a hurry. This is the church today that will lead tomorrow. Some of you come up and let's lay on hands. Pastor, you come up here. Brother John, let's lay on hands and let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we pause, we acknowledge your goodness to the Sagemont family. Amen. Oh, how you have blessed for many, many years. Oh, how we acknowledge that blessing. 
We glorify you, God, good God, who first loved us. And we acknowledge your manifest multiple blessings on the Sagemont Church family. And we are grateful to you, Father. And we're grateful to you for Brother John, who has shepherded us for these 53 years. And Father, our eyes now look toward the future to these young champions for Christ as they train other future champions for Christ. We pray that you would bless Cody and Chuck and Miguel and all of the leadership in the student ministry building. And Father, we have a vision that we would teach young kids the truth so that when they go off to college they stand fast because they know your word and they stand on apologetics and we want to send them with with the tangible scholarships but all of that is out into the future first things first the building home plate home base a place to train them up oh god may we be found faithful and would you continue to bless tomorrow the way you have blessed yesterday in jesus holy and good name we pray and all the people said amen Amen and amen.